0: Hey there, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the podcast. So happy you're here, and I'm thankful to have another great conversation with a good Christian man. This week, Timothy Ballard is joining me in the studio. Timothy is a member of the congregation I worship at. He's a great man of faith, a good friend. I'm so thankful for him and for his family. He delivered an excellent sermon this past Sunday on a, being a root-bound Christian. And so I approached him and asked him if he'd be willing to come into the studio and just chat about it for a little bit. I think it's helpful for all Christians to hear. So please join me as Timothy and I discuss from Luke chapter 13, a parable with some applications for being a rootbound Christian. So I'm here with Timothy Ballard. Thank you very much for joining me in my home studio today. And uh, Timothy's a great friend. Uh, you work with me at Ditton County at the church we both go to. And you just spoke this past Sunday on a lesson you called Root-Bound Christian. And I really like the way you introduced your study. So let's just go ahead and start there. Uh, you pose this concept that not very many people approve of waste, when you know theoretically. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, I can think of a small group, and I think they probably consist of People who own junkyards right. and a landfill. But other than that, our society has basically done a lot of improvement in trying not to waste things. And, you know, we can see how that applies in our daily life. When gas was over $3 a gallon, did mm. you go on any extra long drives just for fun? No, we walked. We walked <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Um, when we go out to eat and we buy a nice meal, and some of that food goes back to the kitchen, we think, "Man, did I did I just waste some of that twenty dollar meal?" Uh-huh. Um, and the one that I think would hit everybody is this consideration to wasting time, right? And you know, people go through a lot of uh, growth and development professionally. So that they can be a very efficient employee mm-hmm. and there's only so much time in a day. And so we download the apps on our phones and we set reminders and we try to be as productive as we can because there's so much to do and we're trying to get all that stuff done in the time of day. And so we just don't like wasting our time. Right. And so is that something that we consider spiritually? Mm. What do we waste As children of God and the saddest thing that I can really think about is a a Christian that's gonna waste their life and we don't that's not something that sits well to think that there are people in our congregations that could potentially be wasting their life for God so when you say uh, wasting a
0: life Can you help me to find that? Because it seems kind of broad, and maybe we can kind of focus it in a little bit. What do you mean by saying uh, a, a wasted life as a Christian?
1: Well, the Bible teaches that a Christian that isn't growing is a waste to God. Okay. And again, that can maybe sting for somebody to hear that. Wait, but I'm the elect. Right. I've been chosen. Right. But in what use... Are you finding yourself in the kingdom? Okay. You know, I could think about um,
0: what use do I find myself in. And and so I want to improve. You know, if I'm not improving, um, then I am wasting. And I'm sure you could think of some examples as well. The one that's maybe coming to my mind, um, I've been, not personally, but studying with a lot of guys who work out a lot. And so I bring that up to them. And I say, hey, you know what? You know exactly what to do in the gym. And uh, if you don't go to the gym, you know that there's no stasis. It's either growing or shrinking of, of your physical body, right, your muscles. Um, what other ways or examples do we have that we're, we're familiar with this, the concept of either growing or wasting away, You know, not uh, just p- sitting on a plateau?
1: Well, you've got kids, and my kids aren't in school yet, but even we expect them to do their homework. Hmm. The students in school that aren't gonna study are not going to perform well on, the, well on the test. Right. And so, you know, as we, you know, go through our years of grade school, there's this expectation that students are going to try hard on the test. They're going to try to get the bigger scholarship. They're going to try to go to the greater school. Mm-hmm. And so when a student doesn't put in that investment, they might not get that scholarship. They might not go to the school of their choice. And it wasn't because anything was unfair. Yeah, But it was they didn't put in that growth early on. Okay, well, this serves as a
0: great introduction. I, I feel I hope that anybody who's listening uh, is kind of agreeing with what we're saying. These are general principles that uh, growth is going to require that constant moving in a certain direction and not letting up on the gas, so to speak. So the big question uh, in this study that I remember from Sunday was, what happens to Christians who aren't deliberate in their growth?
1: Well, yes, the the Bible contains so many uh, teachings and references to this principle of growth, and many of them are framed within the illustration of plants oh, and okay. how they bear fruit. Right. Uh, in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 12, uh, it says, The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so, this was a principle that was going to be kind of uh, born out in creation, and it applies to us spiritually. And so, Jesus used this teaching and this illustration to those uh, who were his audience. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not something that was only used in that context. We can uh, adhere to it as well, and we need to think about it. Okay. I think about how. Uh, in Jesus' parables, there's many
0: times that he uses the concept of uh, of food and fruit and growth because of his audience. Um, everybody in that time was going to be kind of rural farming type people. So these these parables that he spoke um, went directly along with what they knew. You know, he wouldn't talk about machinery because <laughs> they they weren't going through the industrial revolution. But specifically in Luke chapter 13, Jesus gave a parable that you taught about on Sunday uh, in verses 6 through 9. I was wondering if I could read it, and then uh, maybe we could talk about it a little bit. It says, A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. He said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. You know, when I see that parable, um, it helps if I put it maybe into context of what's going on before and after it. So maybe would you help people understand who are unfamiliar
1: with this chapter, what's the background of Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 13. Sure, Jesus offers this illustration and it's an expansion uh, of his teaching on repentance. It was a common belief in that time that anyone who was crippled or disabled or underwent some kind of tragedy, that was a direct result of their sin. Right, I think about in
0: John 9, the guy who's born blind. Right. And they said, who sinned him or his parents?
1: Right. And so with this belief firmly held by the audience on this day they approached jesus and they told him about a disaster so there was a group of galileans who were worshiping in the temple Uh and pilots some of Pilate's soldiers came there that day and murdered them oh my and the most grotesque We can't even fathom it. Right. So while they're worshiping God and offering their sacrifice, they're murdered, and these soldiers mix their blood with the blood of their sacrifice. Mm. And so Jesus is responding to this, and his response is, they were no more worse than the rest. Right. And I tell you that unless you yourselves also repent, you will perish like they did. And then he
0: follows that up with uh, the the Tower of Siloam example there. You know, a tower fell on some people, Um, people were wondering if they were despicable sinners because the tower fell on them you know and he was saying no they're no worse than you unless you repent you will also perish so that's kind of following this pattern of uh bringing it back to the people that you need to repent and if you don't repent you're going to face the consequences of it how does that fit into this parable with the fig tree
1: well uh, the fig tree in ancient palestine it was the most important of all trees Uh, they've got a very warm climate And this tree, because of that warm climate, is fruitful for most of the year. In April, it begins to put out its so-called immature figs. Uh And then it follows with two main crops. There's one in June, and then there's uh, another one later in August. Um, And so it was a tree that gave uh, throughout most of the year. The fig tree was also valued because, although it wasn't very large, uh, it's only about 10 to 15 feet tall on average, but its foliage is very dense. And so in that dry, arid, uh, warm climate, it offered you know, cool shade in the heat of the day. So I'm seeing a great value.
0: Um, I, I'm thinking about in ancient times as well. You know, they, They're not going to have chocolate chip cookies and uh, Dr. Pepper and things like that that are sweet. So I imagine that fig, uh, the fruit that it produces, is going to be very valuable just as a delicacy, but also for nutritional value. They you don't know, have air conditioning, so the, the shade under it is going to be helpful as well. Um,
1: but it's not just in Luke 13 that the fig tree is in the Bible, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the fig tree, it held uh, within everybody's mind in that day and time. It had a little bit more, uh, people revered it in a way. Uh, in First Kings chapter 4, in verse 25, it says, In the time of Solomon, it is said that Judah and Israel dwelt in safety from Dan to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree and so thus Mm. the the fig tree was this invaluable tree and it was grown all over the land of palestine and people revered it and uh, respected it and you didn't just go around cutting down a fig tree because you didn't like where it was standing
0: right so when i see the parable now i'm appreciating that this opening line the fig tree okay this is going to mean something to the people Uh, in addition
1: to just simply
0: being a fig tree Uh, it's also a cultivated tree
1: what does that mean right so in in this parable Jesus refers to it as a cultivated tree meaning that it was selected and chosen to be placed within the vineyard Mm. and so instead of this tree happening to be growing on the hillside somewhere the owner intentionally placed it within his vineyard to bear fruit right so it's like he has a limited amount of space and so it it,
0: the space is gonna be valuable it's not just there by happenstance right now I imagine Jesus isn't just teaching a horticulture lesson to the Jews what what does the fig tree this cultivated tree what does it represent what is he trying to get across to his audience right
1: so Jesus was using the murder of the Galileans and the falling of the tower in Siloam as these stern warnings to call the Jews to repentance uh-huh. and he then climaxes his appeal to them Uh, with this parable from the barren fig tree okay so this barren fig tree represented the Jewish nation Hmm. and just like the tree was planted within the vineyard the Jewish nation was nurtured like a favored child and it had the blessings of divine revelation and guidance from God and so throughout all the years of the Old Testament God just like the owner of the vineyard he had come in the hope of finding some evidence of fruit on the tree and mm. so the owner's command to have the tree cut down, it symbolizes this impending devastation of Jerusalem and the Jewish nation as a whole, which we know you know, would come uh, several decades later in AD 70. Right. And so the pleading of the vine dresser for a little more time means that God would give the rebellious nation of uh, of, of Israel you know, one more chance. And then if it did not bear fruit, it would be finally cut down from its uh, privileged position. It's
0: amazing to see how a parable can function within the society that it's uh reaching out to convict and and maybe somebody's thinking that maybe they're thinking wow you know how compelling it is for the jews but it doesn't really seem relevant to me you know how am i like this fig tree well what about us today to me what what are some lessons we can get from this fig tree
1: well the lessons for us they center around the barren fig tree and the tolerant owner okay so we're going to split it into two Barren fig tree, yeah. tolerant owner? I think so. Yeah, okay. I think that's a good way to structure it. Okay, tell me um, about the barren fig tree. Well, the, the fig tree, because it had no fruit, it was absolutely worthless to the owner. It was of no use. I mean, we sometimes we want to be optimistic, and we want to see the good and the potential and everything, and so we might say, well, that tree was still providing some shade that we just said was so valuable, right? Right. Well, that's not why the owner planted it. Uh-huh. He had no intention of this fig tree only offering shade, but he expected fruit from it. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when we, you know, worthless is not, that is a profound insult. If I were to walk up to somebody on the street and say, you're worth, I mean, can you say anything more cutting to somebody? Right. That they are of no value? Yeah. You're undermining their identity. If we wouldn't say that to a stranger, how could we dare say that to a member of the body? Right. Right. Okay. Well, we got to be very kind of clear about what we're suggesting and saying. Mm-hmm. It's not that these people are wicked. It's not that they're lawbreakers. They're not violent. They're not hateful. They're just simply of no use. And we kind of, you know, sometimes we, when someone calls you ignorant, we take that as such this, uh, how dare you right. call me ignorant? Well, they're, they're lacking knowledge. Uh-huh. There are some people that have yet to kind of imbue themselves with this, uh, you know, self-identity of someone that can do something. Uh And so maybe they're, you know, it's really a, it's a tragic thing. Yes, it is. You know, that was one of the things that we try to convey on Sunday is that for someone to not realize that they do have this use and this value, that's Mm -hmm. the great tragedy Mm -hmm. of, you know, unfruitlessness. And it's repeated
0: through the scriptures as well, that the, you know, the concept that Uh, you have value, but if you choose not to exercise that, then there is little use for uh, what you're doing in the kingdom. I think about Jesus' words in Matthew 5.13, and it's a different uh, concept, but he uses the idea of salt, and he says, if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And kind of like you said, you know, that's uncomfortable to hear, but I need to put my name in it. If right. I, instead of me pointing out at everybody else, I'm just going to point at myself. If I am not being useful for the kingdom, if I'm not being the salt of the earth, then I'm only good to be thrown out. So help me, maybe uh, continue to work this out. How
1: can I uh, recognize this? The urgency of this. Well, you know, we could go look at more parables of Jesus. And in, in Matthew chapter 25, there are all these parables of judgment. And in each story, the individual is not condemned because they had done something wrong, but because of something good that they had left undone. Right. The five virgins were foolish because they didn't bring enough oil. Right. The one-talent man was accused of, of wickedness because he didn't use a talent that he had. I mean, I would, I would have to argue that had that one-talent man brought back 1.01 <laughs> talents... I mean, he wasn't expected to bring back nine more. Right. And the servant with two wasn't expected to bring back eight more. Uh Uh-huh. So just putting it to use is what God is interested in. It's not necessarily comparing the watermelon versus the grape. Correct. That's right. I mean, all fruit is valuable. And just like you were saying earlier, not everyone's going to get to go Know transplant themselves in another country and do mission work for three years, mm-hmm. but they can work in a local congregation and do, arguably, what some people might unfairly see as a small thing. Right, we're
0: the ones who seem to uh, maybe make different levels of service, Right. and so those who are at the higher level, we feel like, man, they're they're just produce, they're pumping out the fruit, and we're down here, you know, sweeping up after everything, or we're you know just putting on a little bit of fruit. Um, If I were to continue looking at the, the parable, uh, one of the lessons, the lesson we just talked about, is that uh, the danger of being useless. What is another thing I could take away from the parable besides me personally being useless? What What sort of impact maybe am I having on the body whenever I'm being
1: useless? Right, well, not only was the fig tree being useless, but because of its lack of fruit, it was hindering... The potential for other good to be done. I mean, it was occupying soil. Mm-hmm. It was all. It was taking in the sun. It was taking in the water. It was taking in the time and concentration of the uh, the vine dresser. And so, the vineyard owner, when he sees this, he says, "Why does it even use up the ground? Right. I could be using it for so much more." Mm-hmm. And so, the fig tree was, in a way, uh, you know, again taking up the, the up the room of the soil, the water, the time of the vine uh, keeper. And so this as a behavior is an, is an uh, unacceptable to God as well. We must find a way to be useful in the kingdom. And there's no one's exempt, right? No child of God can punch their ticket when they enter into the body and say, okay, I've got a pedigree. I've got a family and I can coast. We've got the talent. It has to be, uh, used somehow.
0: Well, then give me maybe, maybe just a practical example uh, of how somebody would grow in their talent. Um, I'm thinking about somebody who's young and then as they grow some ways that they can just, I guess, show evidence that they're being
1: useful. Well, I would maybe start by saying there's a lot of different personalities. There's a lot of different upbringings. And when that person... I want to say, you know, man or woman, we have different uh, opportunities in our service, but there are certain ways that we find to serve there at the beginning. And sometimes there's a little bit of hesitation. Sometimes there's a little bit of a kind of um, a a pause almost where Mm -hmm. we say, okay, now we're in here. I'm not, let's say for a brother, uh, I'm not quite ready to lead a song, prayer or lesson. Right. That's fine there can, there's, if there's a intentional acknowledgement of that and wanting to grow and I mean, what that shows, what that tells me is that, okay, someone has a healthy respect for those kinds of service. The problem that I see is that whenever that early decision in the child's life Mm -hmm. is not revisited in a decade. Okay. And so, we look up, and there are brothers who decided at 15, 18, 20, I'm not ready to teach a lesson, and at 50, they're still using that answer. Okay. And so there's got to be a revisiting to these right. things. And right. so to say that, oh, I wasn't ready personally, I didn't have the experience, well, was there effort put forth in <laughs> garnering uh, right. a little bit more experience so that you could do those things? I think about Hebrews chapter 6, uh, you know, there was a group of people who were
0: supposed to be eating solid food, but they were still drinking spiritual milk, so to speak. And, and so it the spiritual babies, and nobody would accept, you know, when your kid is 5, 10, 15 years old, you know, if you're 15 coming in from school and like, hey, I'm ready for my milk, you know, <laughs> we'd have a problem with that. But spiritually, like you're saying, if somebody is 50, 60, 100, 150, however old they might be, if they're still needing that spiritual milk, um, have they asked the questions, how how am I going to be growing? I and like so, that.
1: And I've got to add this because we think about public service being, like we were saying earlier, maybe the public service is the watermelon. Right. And and not doing something in public is, is the grape. Those smaller fruit, right? if we're going to keep using this, have to be done. Mm-hmm and we need them be done. And so we need all those people that are willing to do the unglamorous thing.
0: That's right. If our Lord was washing feet, then we need people who wash feet as well. We have to have a mindset that's willing to continue to grow in whatever our our usefulness is. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, to set your mind on things above and not of this world. And so I, I like to use that scripture a lot to help people that what if you are Doing background activities, or if you are uh, doing things that are in the foreground, that you should have a mindset on growth to improve at that. Because a lot of times, in my opinion, conversions are happening behind the scenes and not necessarily from a one and done sermon. I don't know if I've ever had a one and done sermon where I got up and preached, and somebody came forward and said, You know what? I had zero desire to be a Christian, but after that 30-minute sermon, I have every desire to be a Christian. Every conversion I've been a part of has always been days, weeks, months, however long, of working behind the scenes. So um, everybody can be useful and should be growing in that. Um, I'm thinking of a third and final thing that you talked about on Sunday. I know I need to be useful, and I need to uh, not get in the way of others, but what's maybe a, a very drastic thing that happened to the fig tree that I can also take away from the parable
1: right well the owner upon realizing that this thing was useless and he was taking a space his response was to cut it down and so that tree not bearing fruit invited destruction mm. um, this is a common theme in the New Testament though right 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 yeah I mean uh, over in Matthew seven nineteen, every tree that does not bear good fruit it's cut down and it's cast into the fire um, also in John 15 uh, verse 6 if a man does not abide in me uh, he's cast forth as a branch and it withers and then those branches are gathered and then they're thrown into the fire and they're burned and so it's a law of nature that whatever does not reproduce itself it's gonna die Uh, It can be applied to a tree, uh, a bird, a fish, a man. It can be applied to a family, a church. Right. Uh, A church is going to take its own life if it can't uh, self-perpetuate. So this may be a hard question to ask, but
0: um, ultimately then who's at fault whenever that tree has to be removed from the garden?
1: Was it the fault of the sun? No. Or the water? Or the vineyard keeper who was watching it or the owner who selected it and gave it room in the in the vineyard to grow, no, it was only the fault of the tree, and it wasn't that the tree wasn't doing something that the owner didn't expect for it to do,
0: correct, right. That's a good point to make.
1: It didn't do what it was
0: expected to do, right. It wasn't bearing the fruit. Hey, that fig tree's not putting on cherries, you know, I'm gonna cut it down. <laughs> it's not going to be that way, and I also add that. It wasn't that it wasn't making enough fruit, or little fruit, or there's there was none. You know, if the landowner had come out and said, "Hey, there's little bitty buds on there," well, I've waited this long. No, he's saying that there's there's been none, right? And it's absolutely useless. Now, we should reflect that this wasn't some wild tree out in yonder. I think we've already kind of talked about that, but maybe it's it's good to just. Back up and say it one more time. This is a cultivated tree in a vineyard, right? So the comparison is this is somebody who's had
1: so much opportunity. Right, right. Yeah, this this tree was protected. It was well taken care of. Uh, they expected fruit and yielded none. So, you know, God is looking and inspecting his church today, and he is placed us within this protection. We have Jesus as our Savior. Mm-hmm. And how are we responding to our position in the kingdom?
0: Right. These are tough questions. You know, that's the purpose of the Bible is for us to uh, consider ourselves and to mold ourselves in the way of Christ. But, you know, this parable um, isn't just about the fig tree. You know, I can see that there's another character in it who is extremely important. I really enjoyed the conversation that I had with Timothy. Unfortunately, it was so long that... It's not really possible to put it into one podcast episode just because I don't want you to have to sit there for an hour and a half. So I decided to break it up into two separate parts, and I invite you to come back next week as we continue this great conversation. Until then, you can go to the website. There are resources. I say it every week, but it's still true, and I'm really trying to get the word out there that these are available for people to use. But there are resources for you to use, absolutely free. There's workbooks that you can use for personal Bible studies. There's uh, online and downloadable for printing uh, correspondence courses that you can use for reaching out to people in your community. There's videos. There's handouts, uh, little one handout type booklets that you could use. So the website's constantly being updated, constantly being built, and I invite you to go and check it out and see if those resources can't help you. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next week. Well,
1: I'm
0: here to tell you a story, a story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you.